Hey everyone, we're glad you're back again with Your Week with St. Luke's as we move into this dysfunctional perspective sermon series based on the book of Genesis. Now, last week, Dr. Ryan talked about Cain and Abel and uh, the responsibility between them and to God and to one another and how that changes us from a dysfunctional relationship or perspective into a more healthy, functional one. And remember, we're using not only Genesis, but we're using Rabbi Sachs' book, um, Lessons on Leadership. And so we're going to continue on this week with another really famous pair and that is Abram and Lot and uh, we're going to be looking at Genesis 12 and 13 and and this idea of how these two brothers kind of struggled with one another and how they came to an understanding of how to move on in their relationship, um, moving in different ways, but doing so with a generous spirit. And what does it mean to have not only, as we've talked about before, a heart of peace, but a generous spirit towards others? And let's see where Ryan takes us this week. So with that, let's listen to Dr. Ryan Benefilio. Hey everyone, and welcome back to week two of our series on dysfunctional relationships. I'm Ryan Bonfilio, and I teach Old Testament at Candler School of Theology. Now, we all have heard stories about strange uncles. You know what I mean, right? The guy at Thanksgiving who makes a scene at the dinner table, or the one who posts an awkward comment about your recent vacation pictures on Facebook. He's part of the family, but oy vey, there's always drama. Well, Genesis has its own strange uncles of sorts, and surprisingly, that strange uncle might be Abraham, the figure who was considered to be the originating ancestor of the Israelites. He's a curious figure, if you think about it. We know him as Father Abraham, and in Genesis 12, God gives him an extraordinary promise that includes the blessing of land and many descendants. And later, we hear that he believes in God and is considered righteous. Yet, at other times, we see Abraham in a less favorable light. While in Egypt, he tries to pass off his wife Sarah as his sister in order to save his own skin, an act I do not recommend. In another episode, he mistreats his wife's maidservant, Hagar, whom he has gotten pregnant. And then later, he is willing to sacrifice his own son, Isaac. So, what do we do with Abraham? Is he a hero of faith, or is he just another strange uncle? In this session, we'll be taking a look at Abraham from the perspective of his nephew, Lot. The interaction between Lot and his uncle Abraham reveals much about who Abraham is and what it means to trust in God's promises. We'll be focusing on three episodes, all of which occur between Genesis 12 and Genesis 19. But first, a little bit of background. In Genesis 11, we learn that there is this man named Terah, and he has three sons, Abraham, Nahor and Haran, and they are all are living in the land of Chaldea, which means Babylon. Lot is Haran's son, but his father dies early, leaving Lot as an orphan. Lot is then taken in by his grandfather Terah and is cared for within that family system. Now, the other thing that you need to know is that Abraham and Sarah are childless long into their marriage. In fact, long after they would biologically be able to have children. All of this matters as we arrive at Genesis 12, when God first calls Abraham. There, Abraham is famously called by God to leave his country, his kin, and his family to go to the land, the land of Canaan, that God had promised. 
In obedience, Abraham goes. But here's the curious thing that we often overlook. Gen- uh, Genesis 12.4 tells us that Abraham brings Lot with him, which on the surface of things seems to go against God's call to leave behind his kin and his family. So what do we make of this? Well, on the one hand, we might see this as an expression of Abraham's compassion. In the biblical tradition, an older brother would be responsible for looking after their sibling's family if the younger brother were to die. And it's not hard to imagine Abraham doing just that. Abraham would have become the de facto father figure for his nephew Lot after his brother had died. So in bringing Lot along with him, we see in Abraham a faithful desire not only to support his family, but also to follow the Bible's emphasis on caring for the most vulnerable in society, which included orphans. But there's another way we might see things as well. As Abraham and Sarah grow older, the promise that God would give them many descendants seemed less and less certain. In fact, biologically speaking, having a child at this point was certainly out of the question. Rather than trusting in God's promises, Abraham often tries to ensure that he has progeny through his own plans and schemes, and this might be one of those situations. You see, Abraham might have seen Lot as a type of insurance policy. If he and his wife were to continue to be barren, Lot then, as a type of surrogate child, would become his heir. Any kids Lot might have would then be considered descendants of Abraham. So, was bringing Lot along with him an act of compassion, or rather, is it the first of a number of examples of Abraham not fully trusting in the promise of God? We can't say for sure. Both possibilities are there in the text. Now, whatever the case might be, the next time we hear about Lot is in chapter 13 of the book of Genesis. By this point, Lot and Abraham have both become wealthy. Yay! They both have vast flocks and herds, so much so that Genesis 13:6 says, for their possessions were so great that they could no longer live together. I think there's a lot to this verse here, verse 6. It's hardly plausible that the whole land of Israel could not literally support these two individuals and their families. So rather than taking this description at face value, I think we are to read this as a commentary on the divisive potential of wealth. Money often drives family apart, doesn't it? This is the central plot of the popular HBO series, and I know I'm referencing HBO a lot uh, in this study, but this is the central plot of the HBO series Succession, in which the children of a billionaire media mogul are consumed by conflict as they search for power and a greater share of their family's wealth. Or we might simply think of couples who have won the lottery, and instead of finding bliss in in their new riches, they often are driven apart. Wealth, as it happens, does not always lead to happiness, and many of us know this already. A 2010 survey from Princeton University revealed that happiness increases with salary, so the more you make, the happier you get, only up until a certain point, and that point is about 75000 a year. Beyond this point, the correlation between more salary and more happiness actually goes in the opposite direction. According to another survey from Cal Berkeley, individuals making 30000 a year said that they would need to increase their salary to $50,000 a year to be more happy. 
but those making $100,000 a year said that they would need to increase their salary to $250,000 a year in order to be happier. See, whether in ancient times or now, having more does not often lead to greater happiness, let alone greater harmony within our families. Now, in either case, eventually, Abraham does the noble thing by allowing Lot first choice of the land he wanted, taking whatever was left for himself. Lot chooses what is referred to as the Plain of Jordan, which in Genesis 13 is described as being well-watered and like the Garden of Eden. This seems to signal that Lot has gotten the better part of the deal. After all, he has gotten the paradise, the Garden of Eden. But we might detect a more ominous note in this description of Lot's land being like the Garden of Eden. If you recall, the Garden of Eden is a paradise, but it's also the site of the first human sin. And interestingly enough in that story, it's also a desire for more that is at the root of the problem. Despite having the whole garden at their disposal, Adam and Eve covet and take the only thing that is really off limits, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This pursuit of more eventually fractures that little family as Adam blames Eve, and Eve blames the serpent, and both end up losing access to the land God had promised. So, maybe it is that we are supposed to see Lot's actions in light of Adam and Eve's mistakes. Is Lot, too, coveting what is beyond his reach? How does that desire for abundance drive a rift between Lot and his uncle Abraham? How might the same happen in our own families again and again? This brings us to the third episode in the Abraham Lot story, and it's found in Genesis 19, and I think it's the most complicated. Here, Lot is dwelling in one of his cities, the city of Sodom. Earlier in Genesis, Sodom has been described as a place of great wickedness. Now, the, de- the text doesn't tell us why, uh, Genesis doesn't tell us why Sodom is a place of great wickedness, but the prophet Ezekiel might shed some light on it. Ezekiel 16:49 says, This was the guilt of your sister Sodom, speaking of the city as a personified human. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. This interpretation tracks with what we have already come to know about Lot's pursuit of prosperity. Now, one day, two visitors come to Sodom for a visit. Lot greets them, and as a gracious host, offers them a meal and lodging for the night. The men of the city hear of it. They come to Lot and demand that he bring out the guests so that they could forcibly sleep with them. Lot begs them not to do this. Now, I've often heard this story read in a way, read by those who are anti-gay uh, to, as evidence that the Bible is against homosexuality. Friends, this is not a good argument. In context, the issue at hand is not sexual preference or homosexuality, but the issue at hand is violation of the deep value of hospitality. We see this in verse 8. The men of the city want to do harm to these guests, and that is seen as a breach of the deep biblical commitment to caring for strangers. Now, Lot is rightly disturbed, but how he tries to solve the situation is problematic. He offers to the men of the town his two daughters to do with them as they pleased. He seems to be willing to exchange one form of injustice for another, violence against men 
for violence against women. In suggesting that his daughters be sent out to the men of the city instead of the visitors, Lot is merely shuffling the deck of wickedness. Now, this stands in sharp contrast with the example of his uncle Abraham in Genesis 18. When Abraham learns of God's plan to destroy Sodom, Abraham is worried that the righteous might be inadvertently destroyed along with the wicked. So Abraham gets in this incredible negotiation with God. He says, God, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Um, If there are 50 righteous people in the city, would you still destroy it? God says, no, he would spare the city on behalf of the 50 righteous. From there, Abraham pushes the negotiation further and further. He says, would you, God, destroy the city if there were 45 righteous? How about 40? How about 25 or even 10? Each time God says no, the city would be spared if righteous individuals could be found. So what do we make of all of this? Well, it seems that Abraham knows something about justice and righteousness that Lot does not. Injustice cannot be solved with another form of injustice. In this story, the fracture of codes of hospitality could not be solved by offering up uh, his daughters unwillingly for the men to do what they please with her. Abraham, on the other hand, is willing to bargain with God for the sake of those who might be innocent in Sodom. Perhaps Abraham's motivation stems from his awareness that his nephew Lot was an inhabitant of one of these cities that God would destroy. So in lobbying God to not destroy Sodom, Abraham is actually trying to protect his own nephew, who was an inhabitant of that city. Or perhaps Abraham's attempt to stave off violence stems from the calling God had given him to be a blessing to all people and to all nations. In either case, the story concludes this way. The two visitors who came to Lot in the first place usher him uh, and his family out of the city so that they would not be swept away in its destruction. On their way out, just as the city is being destroyed, Lot's wife looks back, perhaps with longing for the city she was leaving. For doing so, she is famously turned into a pillar of salt. This odd note can be understood as what is known as an etiology, a story about the origins of a practice or a phenomena. In this case, it's a story that explains the presence of salt formations, which are in fact quite common in the area around the Dead Sea where Sodom is located. Even though God spares Lot from the destruction of Sodom, Lot never reunites with his uncle. In fact, Lot's children become the progenitors of Israel's sworn enemies, the Moabites and the Ammonites. What began as a family dispute over wealth and prosperity in the story of Genesis eventually results in an ongoing conflict between nations. Lot and Abraham are complicated figures, no doubt, and so is their relationship with one another. Lot, for his part, is presented as someone who is motivated by greed and who is willing to exchange one form of injustice for another. But at the same time, we must remember his background as an orphan. One wonders, is his desire for wealth a function of his own experience of scarcity and poverty as an orphan? Can we trace his willingness to abandon his daughters to his own sense of abandonment as a child? Even in our own lives, it is worth probing how 
our early childhood experiences, especially if traumatic, have come to shape who we have become, our values, our choices, our struggles. Doing so can lead to greater self-understanding and perhaps even greater empathy for those with whom we are in relationship. Now, as for Abraham, maybe he doesn't exactly qualify as the strange uncle, but he's also still a pretty complicated guy. While he genuinely seems to care for his nephew Lot, he is forever plagued by his doubts about whether God would indeed give him descendants. And while he is willing to bargain with God in order to protect the innocent of Sodom, one wonders, why isn't Abraham similarly willing to bargain with God in Genesis 22, when he is called to sacrifice his innocent son? Where is his commitment to justice and righteousness in that story? Is being willing to sacrifice his own son in Genesis 22, uh, or in being willing to sacrifice his own son in Genesis 22, Abraham is actually much like Lot, who is willing to sacrifice his own daughters in Genesis 19. In either case, what is remarkable about this story, as is so often the case in the book of Genesis, is how God shows up. As an expression of his chesed, God in the end sticks with both Lot and Abraham. Lot is ultimately spared from the destruction of Sodom, a Sodom, and Abraham ultimately bears a son. Their mistakes, though significant, do not disqualify them from God's mercy. The same is true of us and our families. There's space at God's table for all of us, even the weird uncles among us. 